The epistle reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Brothers, I am making an appeal to you using the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you that you all express the same view and not have any divisions among you, but that you be joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For the news I heard about you, my brothers, from members of Chloe's household is that there are rivalries among you. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that I baptized you into my own name. I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides them, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom used in speeches, so that the cross of Christ would not be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In our epistle reading, we learn that there were divisions in the congregation at Corinth. Paul tells the congregation what he's been hearing. Each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Now, of these names that are mentioned, we know who Paul is. He's the one writing the letter. Apollos was one of the preachers that spent some time in Corinth. Cephas was the apostle Peter. Cephas is Aramaic for rock. So what Paul has heard is that some are saying, I'm one of Paul's disciples, or I'm one of Apollos' disciples, or I'm one of Peter's disciples. And as you heard, Paul is not pleased. They are all to be Christ's disciples. Now this gives us the opportunity to take up what is a difficult topic when it comes to even our own church. We have divisions among us. Congregations can be divided into factions. For example, some might be for the pastor, others against the pastor. Some might think we should do one thing with communion. Others might think we should do something else. Some might be satisfied with the worship. Others might want something else. We might have some divisions and factions in our own congregation, but by God's grace, I don't think that they are too bad. However, you probably know that there are other congregations in the Missouri Synod which are much more divided. It wouldn't be hard to come up with a list of hot-button issues. Open versus closed communion. Women in positions of leadership versus women being submissive. So-called traditional worship versus so-called contemporary worship. Often the highly politicizing words of 
quote, liberal and, quote, conservative get used in the way that these things are talked about. So the liberal platform solves the problems one way and the conservative platform solves them another way. So then there's one congregation that's liberal and another congregation is conservative. Paul had heard that in Corinth, each individual was saying, I belong to Paul or I belong to Cephas. That sounds a lot like what you could hear among us in the Missouri Synod. I belong to the liberal wing, or I belong to the conservative wing. And what do conservatives and liberals do when they get together? They fight. Or, perhaps, if they're sick of fighting, they despise one another. One congregation goes one way, another congregation goes the opposite way, The hostility can be tremendous, as some of us know from experience who have spent some time in synod activities over the years. Ruthless, mean-spirited tactics have been used by one side as well as the other, and in my opinion, the conservatives have probably been meaner and more ruthless, but Such words are a surefire way to pick yet another fight. So how should we think about this? Paul sums up what is going on with these factions fighting one another in chapter 3 of this same epistle, and we'll hear this in our epistle reading three weeks from now. Paul says there, Brothers, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but people who are led by the flesh. You are still people who are following the flesh. Indeed, insofar as jealousy, strife, and factions have a place among you, are you not people who are following the flesh? Are you not behaving in a merely human way? When one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not being merely human? Paul says that jealousy, rivalry, and division are of the flesh. When Paul uses the word flesh, he means how we all naturally are. Everything that we've inherited from the fall, from Adam and Eve. And isn't what Paul says the truth? We've all, in fact, experienced the truth of what Paul says, Take, as just one poignant example, what is so common in middle school and high school. The kids divide up against one another, and they form groups, and they hate each other. They're mean to each other. One wants to be better than the other, and they're going to prove it. Jeering and mocking and sarcasm get used in the fight. And the goal is, it seems, to make the other person feel horrible, to defeat them, perhaps even to make them hate themselves. Now, this rivalry and harassment can get so bad that in the past 20 years or so, several of these kids have decided to come back to school armed with guns to get revenge 
Every single one of the shooters in these school shootings have been kids who were picked on. Let that be just one proof of the truthfulness of Paul's words, jealousy, rivalry, and division are of the flesh. They are from that loveless, murderous, evil spirit that we have all inherited from our parents. Jealousy, rivalry, and division in the church are of the flesh too. But perhaps some of you have been thinking, and understandably so, that some divisions in the church are good. And that's true. Some divisions are good. Paul says so in this very same letter. Later on in the letter, he says, You cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. This means that there has to be a division when it comes to the Lord's Supper. Those who are believing and behaving wrongly and unrepentantly are not to share in the cup and in the table of the Lord. He also says in the same letter that there must be divisions among them so that those who are approved may become evident. So on the one hand, Paul says that divisions are of the flesh, And then, on the other, in the very same letter, he says that divisions are good and necessary. So why does Paul seem to be saying one thing at one part of the letter, and then later in the same letter, something that sounds like the opposite? Well, the answer is that there's actually no contradiction here, because Paul is talking about two different kinds of division. When Paul speaks about jealousy rivalry, division, being bad. He's talking about how these Corinthians were attaching themselves to certain teachers and certain groups. The other kind of division is from being divided from Christ. Division in the church is not to be made because of persons and factions and rivalry. However, there should be division when people are not being faithful to Christ. Let's look more closely at how we should not have jealousy and rivalry and division. Jesus lambasts the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. And what Jesus says of the scribes and Pharisees can usually be very easily applied to the church conditions that happen also among us. So Jesus says of the scribes and Pharisees, they love to be seen. They love having power. They love being called rabbi by the, teach, by the people. But, Jesus says, you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. Also, do not call anyone on earth your father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. And you're not to be called leaders, for you have one leader, the Christ. But the greatest among you will be your servant. Now you can tell from what Jesus has said here that this is of a very different spirit than the evil spirit that we have in our flesh, where he says that we are all to be equal, not one raised up above the other. 
I also have an evil spirit that can whisper in my ear, Michael Holman is just the best pastor ever. The best teacher. Always right. Never wrong. If only others would acknowledge my greatness, I could achieve great things. But how stupid and evil. We are all to have one teacher, and we are all equals. And if you want to be great, Jesus says, then serve and suffer more than all the rest of them. Be more truthful, more open, more long-suffering. Now that certainly is of a different spirit than that which is of the flesh. Jesus says greatness is in serving and suffering. How it works in our circles is that the conservatives want to get rid of the liberals because then we'll be done with our work and we'll have a pure church. And the liberals want the same. And once the one side has vanquished the other, once the mastery of the one has been recognized over the other, then all our problems will be solved. So long as everyone acknowledges that this group is right, the other is wrong. But notice how Paul includes himself in what he says. He says that there were some in Corinth who said that they belonged to Paul. They were on Paul's team. Now maybe there was this part of him that took some delight in that, but actually, as far as his words are concerned, that seems to disgust him more than anything else. In our reading, he says, Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And then he even seems to say that he's glad that he didn't have much more to do with them. He only baptized Crispus and Gaius. And oh yeah, he also baptized Stephanus' family. But that's it, and thank God. Otherwise, they would have even more devotion to Paul, and it would have been even worse. Their devotion doesn't belong to Paul, but to Christ. And the same thing is true with me. If I were to cease to be your pastor because I died or was called to some other place, there's a part of me that would like all of you to say, well, Pastor Holman was the best pastor ever. And there's a part of me that would like it if you'd compare the next pastor to me and say, well, our new pastor isn't nearly as good as Pastor Holman was. But let me say this, that's evil. To act that way is to act like those cool, evil kids in school. They think they're the best. And why are they the best? Is it because they love so much and because they suffer so much and serve so much? Heck no. It's because they're the coolest and the smartest. And if everybody else were like them, then we'd all have our own little gods. That is obviously of the flesh. The Holy Spirit, on the other hand, convinces us that we have one teacher and one father and one leader, and that leader is Jesus Christ. Paul speaks very passionately at the beginning of our reading. He says, brothers, I'm making an appeal to you using the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I ask that you all express the same view and that you have no divisions among you and that you be joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, how does Paul want them to be joined together with the same mind and the same judgment? Does he want them all following him? No. 
He explicitly rejects that. Who is Paul? And who is Michael Holman? They're nothing. Unless they're pointing away from themselves, they're nothing unless they're helping people to trust more and more in Jesus alone. In fact, Paul and Michael Holman would be enemies of Jesus if they were to seek for themselves partisans and disciples instead of pointing to Jesus. And supposing something like that were to happen and go on unchecked, it would be necessary for there to be a division. Division is good and necessary when people are not following Christ but are following someone or something else instead. What has darkness to do with light? Paul asks. And Jesus says, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now let's think again about the divisions that exist among us. It's very easy and convenient to divide into groups. I belong to Fort Wayne. I belong to St. Louis. I'm a liberal. I'm a conservative. And behind these labels is the belief that only if we can rally our forces and get the right people elected and politicking meanly and ruthlessly, then we'll stride gloriously into a golden age. But against such silly but powerfully persuasive dreams, we must sober up with Paul's statement, I came to preach Christ crucified. Christ the crucified doesn't seem like it will work, as opposed to our politicking. Christ the crucified has never seemed like it will work. In fact, Jesus' disciples lost their faith in him as the Christ when he was crucified. But Christ the crucified is the power of God, the only power of God, unto salvation. With Jesus as our Savior instead of ourselves or our own party as the Savior, that means that we can be open and loving and accepting and forgiving and merciful and cheerful and optimistic and so on. And this can be a real challenge for people like me. I can get kind of defensive and suspicious. But it's very helpful to others to grow into Christ when we're being open and kind and gracious. And I believe Paul was like that. But we also know what's true and not true. Our goal should not be just to impress people with how nice we are. Is niceness our savior? No. Our loyalty is to Christ the crucified. And it is only in Christ the crucified that there is wisdom and power. It is only in him that there is true unity and goodness. And so if there are people who don't want to submit to Christ and to his gospel, and if they don't want to repent, then division from them is not only necessary, it's good. But we must be careful that we do this because they're not following Christ and not because they don't belong to our own little club. The closer and more faithful we are to Jesus, the better. To critique and correct the Corinthians is, in fact, a very large part of why Paul writes this letter. It wasn't like he was just being nice. If you are at all familiar with First and Second Corinthians, then you know that he is not just telling them how great they all are all the time. 
No, he had many struggles, in fact, with these people. He even writes a letter to them in tears. He strives mightily, and he suffers much. But this was not so that he could create some kind of Pauline appreciation society. It was so that they would quit believing in bad things and more and more believe in Christ the crucified. And so also with us, we would do very poorly if we were to create a Missouri Synod Appreciation Society or merely a conservative congregation or merely a traditional congregation. None of these things are the Savior. Jesus is our Savior. The peace of God that transcends all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.